0: Hello, welcome to Eyes for Years, your optimal Ocaps and Board View podcast.
1: We're your hosts, Ben Young. And Andrew Powell. Just a reminder that these podcasts are meant for medical education purposes only, not to diagnose things on anyone's eyes.
0: Each you could take a high-yield topic and talk about the why and the how. What are you talking about this week, Andrew?
1: This week, you've selected lasers for us to talk about, which is fun, exciting, and I'm su- looking forward to all the super cool nerdy stuff you're going to tell us about.
0: No, it's not nerdy. It's...
1: Nerdy is a good thing now. On it. As an outline. Lean into it.
0: So this episode, we're not going to go into high detail into the clinical, like each different clinical type of laser. We're going to do more of a background overview of lasers, fundamental principles that can help you when you're doing lasers. And then our hope is to eventually do a kind of a mini series on each clinical laser, talking about more of the clinical indications, the use, uh, and even some pro tips and tricks on how to do them.
1: One caveat, though, this episode is not meant to teach you how to do a laser. It's definitely just to help you answer test questions about lasers correctly. Do not try a laser procedure without the appropriate training.
0: Yeah, this is we we are not your residency as much as, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Okay, so let's start with what a laser is. Here's like the super basic version for the clinician to know. So a Laser is just a beam of light that has, in general, I mean, at least you know, clinically, that has both spatial and temporal coherence. So what does that mean? Spatial coherence means that that light can focus onto a very tight spot uh, and well-defined spot. And temporal coherence means that all the photons within that ray of light are selected for a very specific wavelength of light. So one way to think about it is a laser is just a beam of light that has many cloned photons. You know, we don't need to know all the physics of how that happens, but basically physicists found a way to clone photons using electrons that are raised to the right energy levels. And when you pass a photon through that appropriate atom with electrons raised to the right energy level, that electron will relax in its energy and produce a second photon, of the same energy as the first photon that passed through it. So if you can imagine if you have a, um, basically a chamber of mirrors where light can pass back and forth through a medium that has these atoms with electrons raised to the right level, the photons will keep cloning themselves back and forth, back and forth until you have like a critical mass of enough photons of, that are cloned. And when I say that, I mean they have the same, they have spatial and temporal coherence that it becomes a laser beam. That cloning process is called stimulated emission, so one way to think about lasers is it's light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation.
1: That's what? definitely a backronym, right? Like science fiction authors had written the word laser many years before we actually made lasers, I figure. I think? Is that right? I think that that is I think it is it started as
0: an uh, acronym. No. I don't So think it's, think it's not acronym. a backronym. I wow. believe
1: it is But I did want to ask you a little bit about this, though, because every time I see this explanation that you've very elegantly uh, told us about, the whole electrons are raised and then they relax and emit some energy. Like, I figured, why is that special, right? Because we hear about molecular chemistry doing that all the time. Right, yeah. energy state to low energy state, fine. But it's the distinct thing is the cloning that you're talking about. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, so there's a difference between stimulated emission here and spontaneous emission. Spontaneous emission is something like in fluorescence, like when we talked about fluorescence angi- um, angiography a few episodes ago, where some something is raised to some energy level and then it spontaneously relaxes from that energy level and emits a photon. So that's why in, flu- you know, in fluorescence, it does not emit a photon of the same energy as the incident light. It releases a photon of the energy uh, that matches the, the quantum energy level that that the electron dropped and it does that spontaneously the difference here is that energy level drop is stimulated by the incident photon that's attacking or that's being absorbed by the um, by, by the electron so it's that stimulated emission that leads to an identical photon being produced that's what the difference is but compared to fluorescence which is spontaneous hmm. emission Okay, so this this next part is going to be the probably the highest yield part of this episode, where we talk about the different types of laser, and you know how they work, and then and then after that we're going to talk about the clinical utility of them. Okay, so there's only four types of laser to to talk about. So the first one we'll talk about is photocoagulation. How does that work, Andrew?
1: Photocoagulation is probably the easiest conceptually to understand because it is what it sounds like coagulation heat energy thermal damage you're basically cooking the tissue that you are trying to get to that you're aiming at
0: right and the beautiful thing is it only goes for um, certain types of tissue that you're aiming at you know you can think if you're lasering the retina or the iris or something that you are going through multiple layers of other tissue the cornea the lens you know even the vitreous cavity or the aqueous humor the reason it doesn't do damage to that or create bubbles that might interfere with your view is that photocoagulation lasers, at least the ones used in ophthalmology, are only absorbed by pigmented structures, as generally structures that have melanin in them. So some examples of structures that would work on then are things like the iris, the trabecular meshwork, as you um, should know, has pigment in it, and actually not the retina because the retina, except right in the macula lutea where it can absorb a little bit of laser energy, the retina doesn't have any pigment to it so it actually doesn't absorb energy. In other words, photocoagulation doesn't work on the retina. Instead, it works on what's pigmented under the retina, which is the RPE, retinal pigment epithelium. So that has a melanin that can absorb energy and then that can cook the retina by being adjacent to the retina. So um so you know i think it's really important to understand especially as we go on later to talk about different structures that you might use photocoagulation on and why it might or might not work
1: um this is where i want you to step in and guide us with the energy or another way to say that i guess the frequency settings or wavelengths of mm-hmm. these different types um photocoagulative lasers are usually a different wavelength than the others right it's not i'm um, it's not a characteristic of photocoagulation itself, because there are multiple lasers that use photocoagulation that all have different, slightly different frequencies, but they are all generally clustered around the four to five hundred uh, nanometer wavelength. Yeah, Is that yeah, correct?
0: exactly. Like all around five hundred, because that's the wavelength that melanin can absorb. So that's why they're mm-hmm. all the, the five hundred um, you know region.
1: Yeah, the numbers. I just wanted to point them out that these are very testable, sadly.
0: The most testable one is the uh, photocoagulation setting on a neodymium YAG, which is an yttrium aluminum garnet. And I'll just say the full names that you can know when we say YAG laser. That's what we're talking about. It's ND YAG, neodymium. YAG is yttrium aluminum garnet. So when you use that for photocoagulation, it's, quote, frequency doubled. And it'll make more sense when we talk about the non-frequency doubled version. But the number to memorize is 532. 532 is the wavelength of a neodymium YAG laser, which is green, by the way. And then this one, actually, I don't think you have to memorize. I feel like it's, I, I mean, I haven't actually seen this in test questions or anything, but you know, the classic photocoagulation laser you think about is an argon laser, which is a gas laser. And that actually emits two different wavelengths of light. And there's a certain proportion of each, but one is five fourteen nanometers, which is green, and the other is four eighty eight, which is blue. It's actually like argon lasers aren't actually used as much clinically anymore. So that's why, you know, we I I think maybe that's part of why we don't have to memorize that number. Like I wouldn't worry too much about it. But
1: five thirty two Why is it then that, Mm -hmm. and I'm sorry if you can't answer this, but why is it every time I use the Argon setting when I try to do an LPI or something, it almost looks like a red beam?
0: Is the red the targeting laser or the actual laser? Because I haven't done an LPI in a while.
1: Ah, that could be it, actually. Yeah, it's totally it. My bad. I've been stupid this whole time. (laughs) Um, You're right. When the light flashes, that I'm not supposed to know about because I'm not supposed to be looking directly mm-hmm. at it, it's definitely mm-hmm. yeah.
0: green. <laughs> Luckily, there's that laser filter that blocks it out. And that's why you couldn't see it. It's by design, you couldn't tell it was green because there's a laser filter in your microscope. <laughs> okay. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. So that's it for photocoagulation. The next one. To...
1: What's this history? Hmm? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I just
1: think on this is cool. On so, roofs?
0: like, okay, you know, obviously, photocoagulation has a lot of utility within ophthalmology. So in th- I just point this out, cause it may help you rem- like kind of remember the mechanism of photocoagulation. You know, another way to think about phot- photocoagulation is you can think of a kid with like um, a magnifying glass trying to burn an ant, you know, with the sunlight. You know that, I mean, you're basically just trying to cook the ant using that magnifying glass. And you can do with it your 20 diopter lens too, if you want. I think the asphericity of the twenty diopter lens actually makes it a little bit easier to to do that. If not that, I've ever cooked a an ant with one, but anyways, yeah. It, it okay. was, compared to a spherical lens, <laughs> I just can't focus to as tight of a point. The, yeah, the um, um so the first like applications of photocoagulation for the retina would be you would take a patient up to your roof and you get a bunch of mirrors to focus the sunlight from the roof onto the retina. That's my impression of the how it was done before they came with the first lasers which were xenon lasers which don't uh, currently don't have any utility if you i see a patient who got xenon laser see these gigantic laser scars like i've seen a few of those back when that was the only option but before that they just put people on the roof and and then use these giant mirrors
1: that Which I, I always
0: tell my patients before I subject them to laser because <laughs> I'm like, you know, I know this is gonna suck, but uh, at least it could be worse. Oh
1: my gosh, I'm sure they come. Yeah, at least I'm not like,
0: strapping you to the roof and, you know, using a death ray on your like guys. Yeah, because that's I don't know if you heard the 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 story of um I think it was Aristotle. No, no, not Aristotle. It was a it was a Greek physicist. He's like super famous. Archimedes, I feel so dumb. Archimedes. He was like fleeing some empire, Archimedes. <laughs> and th- there's like a legend that he developed this death ray <laughs> to, to help fight off the people who are trying to track him down. And then the hypothesis is death ray was like a series of mirrors that would be used to concentrate sunlight to like light people on fire. <laughs> so, anyways,
1: <laughs> just stand real still for a yeah. good two hours and then an- yeah. you'll be yeah, dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right uh, yeah, I think
0: there. it was to fight off Syracuse, but I'd have to look it up.
1: Your knowledge?
0: This is going to likely to be tested on your OCAPs, everyone. So the oh Archimedean <laughs> um, defense <laughs> strategies. So I don't know for mm-hmm. historians out there, I know it's. No, dark. you know how
1: a test question on the OCAPs would really go like, which person who designed the death ray in ancient Greece? Um, also did, it's going to be a second or third order question.
0: Yeah, they could turn it, yeah. The whole, the yeah, whole back. Yeah, they, they could honestly, like, make it, you, like, they could turn it, like, an optics question, you know? Like, if the sun is here and the syracusan
1: like... should you better be careful because, <laughs> who knows, some of the ABO question writers might actually listen to us. <laughs> I guess we uh, did photo coagulation to death yeah, then. we
0: we definitely cooked that it. one. What about photo disruptive? Oh, I got there first. Yeah, no, you, you definitely got it
1: first. Yeah, no, I... <laughs> <laughs> Photo disruptive. that's my favorite laser because as an anterior segment guy that's the one you're usually reaching for it's got a totally different mechanism though it's not cooking anything it's not uh it's not really using thermal energy at all it's actually micro explosions are you sure i can talk yeah, about sure. the talk mantis shrimp. Right? Sure. The only thing is a little misleading but if you've ever seen one of two things either one of those david attenborough nature documentaries where they talk about stunning rainbow mantis shrimp and how cool and colorful and how many random colors it can see but they also usually like talking about another thing it can do it's super fast sonic punch underwater which is how it like kills things it'll punch one of its little shrimp claws towards unwitting prey and it does it so fast that there's actually a little sonic explosion in the water like the there's a bubble that forms from, I think, pressure differences caused by the physical punch. And this little tiny bubble implodes on itself, and that's called cavitation. The similar, something very similar to that is happening with photo disruptions. It's causing on purpose little micro explosions. It's, of course, not punching anything physically. It's not um, sonically using audio energy but it's using light to create these little cavitation explosion bubbles, which uh, strips electrons from atoms. They recombine. This creates like, actually, I think plasma, a change into plasma is at some point. But that concussive force is what does the damage. And you're using this when you want to destroy tissue, like for a laser iridotomy.
0: You, you You can kind of think about it as like letting off a little stick of dynamite every time you shoot that.
1: Ben, what's the magic number that folks should know for photodisruptive
0: wavelengths, ten sixty four. How is that related mm-hmm. to the previous number we told you to remember, which is five thirty two? It's twice as much. <laughs> it's twice, yeah, exactly. That's why five thirty two. YAG laser is called frequency doubled because you're you're doubling the frequency.
1: Doubling which the has- frequency, shortening the wavelength. They're inversely related. Remember, so yeah.
0: So yeah, if you remember one, you'll know the other. I have a <laughs> tiny mnemonic.
1: Is it and. Is it the N sixty four?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, I think we all know it. Because we N all know it. neodymium YAG, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got N Yag. to start with, so yeah. definitely N sixty four.
0: Yeah, and it's like it's fun, you know, like doing YAG is fun like doing uh, like playing your N sixty four.
1: But the frequency doubled neodymium YAG is half that wavelength, just be yeah. careful.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So remember ten sixty four, remember the frequency double is half of that. You know?
1: Right. And that's different from Argon, just for some repetition. Argon is either green wavelength 514 or blue wavelength 488, 514, 488. Right,
0: which is probably lower yield, I think.
1: True, I have not seen that before.
0: Yeah, but that that is like the original Argon lasers. Um, That's, you know, it's a mix of the green and the blue. Okay, what about photoablative? Um, How is that different? Maybe photo ablative, this I yeah, think it. of it
1: as like the most uh, the most dangerous. I don't know. I just not really. It's not a patient safety problem. It's really just it's the tightest wavelength. It's for an eczema photoablative laser. It's a 193 nanometer wavelength.
0: And I, I also commit that to memory.
1: Right, that's a very important one. Unfortunately it's a weird number. We don't I don't have a mnemonic for it, do you? I have not,
0: I just yeah one
1: nine three.
0: I, I missed it enough on my test questions that I just remember
1: now. You go for the one with the shortest wavelength, and if they put like one twenty-five, one seventy-two, and one ninety-three, god help you, I don't I don't know yeah. how you'd remember one ninety-three. We have no good mnemonic. Um but what it's doing, it's not cooking things with thermal energy, it's not concussing things and destroying them with tiny explosions. It is Getting down to the atomic bond level and breaking covalent bonds. So it breaks carbon carbon bonds, it breaks carbon nitrogen bonds.
0: Yeah. Another way to like try to think about how these things are different, because I know definitely when you're on a test question, getting like they're all like photos, something they all sound kind of similar you know, glaucoma surgeons, cataract surgeons have these awesome YAG lasers that they can use to either, uh, you know, cook tissue that we'll talk about or cut tissue. Retina people love there to, to cook the retina because of the RPE there. But the poor cornea surgeon, you know, it's hard to find use for either of those. You know, the cornea is known to have very little pigment to the point it
1: has no pigment. That's why it's clear. You really don't want to be causing explosions around the cornea. Exactly.
0: There's one use actually to cause explosions in the cornea, which we can get to in a bit. But, you know, you (laughs) generally don't want to explode your corneas. Um, You know, I'm not a cornea specialist, but I think most of them would agree. But, you know, obviously it would be nice to be able to use laser precision to be able to change the cornea, which is why, you know, this photoablation has so much utility because you're attacking the bonds directly. You can, you know, shave off cornea, which is why it will be u- you'll see it'll be used for refractive surgery Think give you laser precision um, corneal shaving, essentially. Okay, um, and then you know, there's a, one more laser type that is you know probably the least commonly used out of all these lasers, if I had imagined at your standard like, multi-specialty eye center, but it's photoradiative. And there's really only one application of it, so I'll just talk about it in brief now, called photodynamic therapy. So what photoradiation is, is you stimulate a sensitized tissue that's sensitized by an IV administration of a specific kind of dye called vertiporphyrin in this case. When you stimulate that tissue with the right, right wavelength of light, it promotes the formation of free radicals. And then that destroys the tissue surrounding wherever you shine that light. So it's not like that's also not like a heat based thing. That's why you can't just do like an argon laser when you want to do something like that would require photodynamic therapy. But that's just like kind of the last, you know, it's called photoradiative, which is a similar class of laser as photoablative. You can actually group them both together and call it photochemical if you want. But, you know, that's getting like, you don't really have to know that, but it's like a cousin of photoablative. Okay, that's the four laser types. Maybe I'll able to just do a brief review now because it's, I think this is the most high yield part. Mm-hmm. And then the next part will be more for people who are unfamiliar with the lasers to give you know, a brief idea of what clinical lasers are available. You know, it's, this is you know if you're a student or a first year uh, resident and you're hearing about all these different kinds of lasers and you don't really know, you know, like why they say do a LPI for this glaucoma patient and a, a SLT for this other patient. So we're going to go into that in a bit. So. The four types are photodisruptive, again, micro explosions. Remember, 1064 nanometers for your wavelength. There's photocoagulation, which is cooking. It works by heat. The main thing to remember is 532 nanometers from a frequency-doubled YAG. There's photoablative. The excimer laser uses 193 nanometers, and that's where you actually break covalent bonds to disintegrate tissue. And then there's photoradiative, which uh, acts on tissue to create free radicals to destroy tissue, Okay, so from now on, this is more like the hope or people like clinically. If you see the term diode laser, all a diode laser it is, is a laser that works via a semiconductor, you know, like a solid-state semiconductor. You know, that's kind of an opposition to, an, uh, to a YAG laser that works with a crystal, that yttrium aluminum garnet. And then also an opposition to like gas lasers that, you know, work by your lasing medium is a gas. So these are all just different ways to term the lasing media that you're using to, um, to create your laser. Okay, so Andrew, in 20 seconds, can you explain what an SLT is?
1: Uh, Just very gentle energy delivered to the trabecular meshwork to attempt to get it to work better at draining fluid. How does it work? We think we know by the stimulation of matrix metalloproteinases and all these other little cytokine and molecular things that supposedly chew out and chew up chew through the trabecular meshwork a bit. But in truth, we don't really know. And I'm honest with people. I tell them, we don't know how this works really, but we know it works half the time. So let's try it.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's good. Like, honestly, if I were to get glaucoma, like, you know, God forbid, if I were, I think it would start with before, you know, selective laser trabeculoplasty. That's what SLT stands for.
1: The Brits do, and that's the light trial. And we can talk about that on a different episode. We should. Anyways, <laughs> it's a gr- it, it,
0: it's a worthwhile laser to know about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, we already alluded to this, but what's a YAG capsulotomy?
1: That is, as you said, just little micro-explosions trying to blow out the back of that capsule in a way that you're okay with after yeah. surgery.
0: Yeah, after surgery. Yeah, it's just a cut. You're basically just trying to cut the capsule. You know, What's an iridotomy? Or I guess an laser peripheral iridotomy? LPI. It's a
1: hole in the iris that you intended to put there. So technically, you could make iridotomies with tools, too, like, you know, scissors or other stuff. You. The tractors, the tractors. Correct. That's cool. You can imagine tiny little explosions should do the trick to create holes. And that's what we do. But actually, you can tell there's two different ways. You can either just gag through it with the micro explosions or you pre-treat with some coagulation with uh, argon laser first. And then you still probably haven't broken all the way through. You might finish it off with a little bit of uh, explosive photo disruption at that point
0: yeah yeah and you know i think when we do our lpi episode we can talk about the pros and cons of each and stuff but mm-hmm.
1: and i'm not gonna talk about why we would do an iridonomy either right now that would be we'll like a, a whole
0: episode yeah that'd be quite oh God. <laughs> that'd be quite a bit you come to a um, fellowship
1: with me <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and then there's something that's sounds similar but is different there's argon laser peripheral iridoplasty so iridoplasty what does that in 20 seconds
1: it's an unorthodox way of treating really refractory angle closures by intentionally shrinking the iris tissue but in such a way so as to drag the iris out of the angle and you do this 360 degrees around the peripheral iris
0: yeah and um, it's like in terms of border view, it's classical to use. It's your plateau iris, but oh, thank you. definitely, yes. yeah. Yeah. Like that's in terms of border view purposes. Right. iridoplasty right. is great for plateau iris because it drags your uh, abnormally angled iris out of the angle. But we can, again, talk about that in maybe an iridoplasty episode or, or combine it with um, iridotomy.
1: Okay. I'm going to skip ahead to the next glaucoma related one and then I'll let you finish up with the others. I was going to ask
0: you what retinal photocoagulation is for. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Actually, I should know. What's, but
0: okay. What's what's you uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I see this on the OR schedules a lot and sometimes in the oh, clinic too CPC cyclophotocoagulation.
1: Mm. What is that? It is also using thermal damage to heat up the ciliary bodies. And we can do this either in the eye endocyclophotocoagulation or transsclerally where we just put the probe on you know the outside wall of the eye aim it towards the ciliary body and heat it up it actually a lot of the times those ciliary bodies explode so that's not a wow. photo disruptive thing it's just that they got so hot that they heated up swelled up and popped and actually if they've done that then you know you've done your job you yeah I did that was killed that thing microwave. dead yeah, and we will once. talk more about that later. That's usually done with a diode laser.
0: And you do it because the ciliary bodies are what produces aqueous. It reduces the inflow of fluid as opposed to right. increasing the outflow of fluid.
1: Right. It's generally yeah. traditionally been thought of as the maneuver of last resort because you can imagine popping ciliary bodies generates so much inflammation that I give you a new retina patient whenever I, sometimes when I do it because it'll stimulate a lot of macular edema too. It can. Mm.
0: Mm. Speaking of retina patients, mm-hmm. another laser is a retinal photocoagulation. There's actually like a number of reasons why you might photocoagulate the retina. The main ones that you might think about are to stimulate scar formation, to increase adhesion between the retina and the RPE. So like for a retinal tear, it's like the classic thing to to do to treat that. You can also do it to uh, just ablate tissue to reduce how much VEGF it produces. So that's in pan-retinal photocoagulation, which again deserves a whole other episode. Uh, There's other, you know, reasons to do a retinal photocoagulation like in focal lasers. You can do it to ablate like vascular tumors, like destroy vascular tumors. There's many different things you can do with retinal photocoagulation, but at least those are probably the two more common ones. We talked about eczema laser already. That's mainly used for refractive surgery to shape the corneal surface and LASIK or PRK. Uh, and then what about femtosecond lasers, Andrew? What, you know, I, I remember... I mean, maybe I don't know this this probably isn't like quote dating me, but on the interview trail when I was applying for residency, I remember that was like the hot thing. Like every there was always some app kind of, like every interview I was at that was ask, that asked, like, oh, do you guys have a femtosecond laser? And I would start asking because I heard everyone else ask, and I had no idea what it was. It took me until like three years after when I was like in residency to like actually figure out what a femtosecond laser was. So what is it? <laughs> <laughs> I oh, would yeah, ask all the programs, fine. hey, do you guys have a femtosecond laser? <laughs>
1: The femtosecond uses technically photo disruptive a photodisruptive modality to do its job.
0: Right, but to contrast it to the standard YAG laser for photodisruption, where the YAG laser acts on something on the nanosecond scale, femtosecond is you know even much shorter than than that. So what that results in is very very fine micro explosions. Um, it, you know, to the point where instead of acting kind of like a stick of dynamite, it acts more like a little chisel. So it can be, you know, the probably the most common use for it is
1: to uh, create a capsule during cataract surgery. You can also kind of slice and dice up the cataract itself inside with it, which is what it's mainly used for capsule or capsulotomy creation and cataract queasy narding.
0: What, what was that word you just used? Queasy narding? <laughs> I made it up. Oh, interesting. think um, of it
1: that way. Like, it's slicing and dicing and, like, the X, okay, Y, Okay, I, I had Z to think axes. of a quote,
0: a cuisine art. Okay, I, I didn't, I, I heard it differently. Okay, like, like the, the the slicer thing that in the kitchen yeah a- a okay I didn't know what that was I was like what the hell did you just okay and then you know another use you can do is actually in the cornea itself too Um, you know the the micro explosions are delicate enough you can do things like a relaxing incision for like refractor purposes in the cornea you know I know some femtosecond surgeons even like to use it to make their main incision when they do cataract surgery so you can make cuts in the like you know well controlled in the cornea there's something called the smile procedure. procedures you can go into but that also uses femtosecond lasers too
1: So, Ben, before we finish on this, I did want to point out one little thing that took a long time for me to understand, and it's distinct for photo disruption, actually, and we're going to use some Star Wars terminology to help illustrate this. Um, If, you know, I have a blaster or something, something pew-pew pointy laser gun thing, and I shoot it at you, then... If the beam is like going anywhere through it, anywhere along the beam, you'll get damaged, right? Um, mm-hmm. Whether you're at the end of the beam or closer to me end of the beam, it's either still going to cook you, it's going to cut you, or it'll
0: well, cook me. Yeah.
1: What's the it'll other cook one? Me. It'll cook me. Right. So photocoagulation lasers are like that. Um, Excimer laser is like that. The only reason so like the distinction there is of the only reason photocoagulation gets through the cornea without damaging it, like Ben said earlier, is because there's no melanin in the cornea. But an excimer laser is truly powerful and destructive. If you tried to aim an eczema laser, the one you'd use for LASIK at the retina, you're going to destroy everything in the path of on its way to the retina too. So why does that not happen with a photo disruptive laser, Ben? This is
0: more of my reflection on understanding of Star Wars, but you know, you you know how <laughs> in, when the Death Star fires, the the laser beams all come to a point. Uh-huh. That that's how um, that's more how a Yag laser works. It has multiple you know laser beams that come to a point. It's only where they come to a point is a disruptive effect enabled. Um, right before we recorded this, I looked at um, you know uh, documentary footage of the destruction of Alderaan. <laughs>
1: And, uh, the Empire did I, nothing wrong.
0: I apparently, I thought that the four lasers came to a point at Alderaan, but apparently,
1: Ah dude, it's like right it's, in front of the
0: it, right in front of the Death Star, and then right. it's like another laser that goes through that point. Then that then that laser destroys all. It. So that, you know, the, the technology of the Empire is like not you know not not known to me, but you just remember <laughs> like the four things coming to a point, and so that lets you control for depth of where the explosion happens. So um, to put it
1: in another way, if you just try to destroy Alderon with a photocoagulative laser. You could do it at any point, no matter how far away Alderon was from you. As long as Alderon had a lot of like pigment, <laughs> if it is disruption, then you have to make sure Alderon is right where you're aiming for it to be.
0: The one thing I'll say about photocoagulation, though, in terms of depth, is uh, well, in many laser systems, the um, the laser beam. Is more conical than like a straight rod, if that makes sense. So if your like laser source is further from the target, then the spot size may enlarge, if that makes sense, because it works more like a flashlight, where the the laser beam gets larger the further your laser source is mm-hmm. from it. That's that ma- has more applications in indirect laser, where you know the head mounted laser, or um or or endo laser when you're like in the OR doing vitrectomy and using laser. Then, then distance with that matters it tremendously because the laser spot size will increase dramatically mm-hmm. um, so that is where like depth matters in photo co- uh, yeah photo coagulation it will still absorb the energy just not in a tight enough circle to, to cook at the right temperatures yeah okay. okay and that's all we have if you like what you heard then you can follow us on twitter at eyes 4 number four
1: uh, we've also got uh, let's see what are we all instagram twitter uh, facebook we're on Facebook, too. We have also, I think on all those things, we're either Eyes4Ears with a number or a, the word for. We also have uh, our website, Eyes4Ears.com with the number four.
0: Yep. And uh, if you like to support the podcast, then you know, if you leave a rating review on uh, iTunes or wherever you found our podcast, it's just like super helpful for us.
1: And on Otherwise, the last note on the matter of Star Wars laser uh, physics, don't even talk to us about the jj abrams death star revival thing i know that laser did weird stuff in the movie and i disagree with everything in that
0: hmm. i would have to
1: it like fat- it was a single beam and then it randomly split and destroyed like 20 planets oh yeah that's right if everything else in the movie i could have dealt with seeing that it's like come on I'm maybe that's photo
0: radiative <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what photo radiative is i don't know okay okay Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.